We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome to the DFS pregame show here on Roto Grinders. I'm Jordan Cooper, a gay blender at Blender HD. You can follow me there on Twitter. And this is the show where we go over a little bit of yesterday's slate, a little bit of today's slate, but uh, it's Mondays. So on Mondays, we welcome in Mondays with McCool. It's James McCool, uh, me, me and James. We're the co-authors of the Theory of Daily Fantasy Sports, How to Think Like a Professional DFS Player. It's a 15-hour audio masterclass that you could find at theoryofdfs.com. I see the people in the chat. We got we got some early birds here. Jupocalypse card fan, Quinn Williams, Trey McRae, William Hopkins, Gordon Benson. How you doing, guys? You know what to do. Hit that thumbs up button. Hit the dummy thumbs. Hit the subscribe button if you're new here. Hit the notification bell to know when we go live in the morning. Uh... I don't know if you got much sleep last night, James, but uh, it you can't sleep during an NBA slate anymore. Like there's no, that I, I, I see that's to me, that's the biggest complaint. It's the main reason why I, I, I prefer that there is no late swap that I just, it locks. And then you'd have to take your chances. If you think DeAndre Fox is going to play then play him. And then if he doesn't, you get a zero and too bad, right? Stuff like that. Uh, but we see this season, it almost feels like it's April NBA, like all the time. The injury reports, nothing matters, right? What, what does it matter? Everyone's either questionable or someone that's not even on the injury report is out at some point after lock. A uh, lot, of, lot of talk in the NBA Discord on Roto-Grinders, which you could get as a premium member. Click on the link in the description. Get $10 off your first month about planning not just the late swap in and of itself, but planning for possible news later, even if it's unexpected, even if it's like, I mean, yesterday we had, uh, what's going to go on with the magic? Cole Anthony, Evan Fournier, it seems like this is happening like the past three or four magic slates. Who's going to play, who's not going to play, but it's like the news is going to come out after lock. Then we obviously had Kawhi yesterday, who just, they're just sitting him. Right, just after you would have known earlier, but you could have you could have just told us beforehand. 
right? We already had that Hornets news before Locke. Then we had the Kings with De'Aaron Fox and Marvin Bagley. Fox played, Bagley didn't. Uh, how do you approach planning? Because one of the questions that, that we get in, in the Discord several times the past couple of days is, is it worth it to just fade like early value to get to who knows what's going to happen. Like you're almost like, you, you don't even know what the value is going to be, but you just, why don't you just fit? Like we had the Charlotte game yesterday. That was the first game. So it's like, well, bridges and, and on FanDuel, you had like Zeller and, and Rozier and all those guys. And then it turns out that you could have played like Lou Williams. You could have played Terrence Ross. Some people were stuck in the shooting guard spot. So they couldn't do that. So what, what is the benefit on every day, almost thinking in your head, like you look at you look at the slate, you see what the times of the games are, and go, why don't I just not even fill out anyone from the early games and just wait to see what happens? Because you're always going to get those players at lower ownership because less people react to the news. Well, first off, I'm gonna say the NBA can just like can just get out of here with all this, man. You can I just I say have suck just, it. Go yeah, suck yeah. it. I have some choice words that I will not use on this uh, broadcast, but um, yeah, I'm just, I'm so tired of the way the NBA is approaching injuries and designations and everything like that this year. Um, They came into that agreement so that there could be uh, some game integrity of injury reports and like taking care of the players. And there were those rules that were put in this year that said that there's like, the constraints on resting on a back-to-back when there's a nationally televised game. And that there's all these different things that are supposed to be in place to make it so that there is more integrity in the lineups and what to expect from a gambling perspective, because gambling is getting so much bigger in this country and it's being such a larger thing and a larger part of the game. It's part of the entertainment value of what sports are in America these days. And then you have teams that are just taking like, we were talking about it before this started. And like the, the Magic knew those guys weren't going to play. Ma- the Magic didn't think that those guys were going to suit up. They knew they were going to sit the whole time. Kawhi Leonard, they, they knew he was resting. They absolutely knew that he was resting. And, and it doesn't it doesn't matter. So uh, and, and also even with the starting lineups, aren't they supposed, are we supposed to get starting lineups a half an hour before tip-off? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that was another one of like the rules and, and there were supposed to be fines and like there are all these things that were supposed to make it so that we had the integrity of the game from a betting perspective and it's just all gone out the window this year with the COVID rules and I, I it's just so frustrating and um, but anyway, like I'll get off my soapbox like to answer the question you I, I'm big on knowing your unknowns. And I'm really big on understanding the value that you know that you have versus the value that you might have later. Um, There are some things that you just straight up can't plan for. Like you couldn't plan for the Kawhi thing before lock because we just straight up didn't know about it. But with a situation like Orlando, where we already knew that they were pretty thin, we knew that uh, Evan Fournier is somebody, you know, he's a, he's more of a veteran player and he has that back problem. He's had injuries most of his career. So there's a good chance he sits Cole Anthony. He's been ailing like, if you knew that those guys were going to be out and Frank Mason was already out, of course you would have a lot of interest in Terrence Ross. And of course you would have like more interest in James Ennis. but 
without and Ennis being... was out also, right? And Ennis ended up being out as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So like you you have all these situations where like, yeah, if you knew that those guys were going to be out, I think you just have to kind of look at it like try to compare the known values that you have against the unknown values that you might have and can make that decision earlier on in the day. But the, the biggest thing that you can do to prepare for it, even if you don't know if those situations are going to happen, is to leave yourself an out just in case they do happen. Um, what One of the hugest things, and, and it's just a very, very simple roster construction point, is making sure that on DraftKings specifically, you have your guard forward and utility spots um, in the later games so that you have more flexibility in order to switch just in case something does happen where you can now get on Terrence Ross and somebody else in those positions and you're not kind of like pigeonholed into the things that you have, but, um, but what would be the value? I think more people are talking about the, un- that you're talking about the known unknowns. Yeah. I'm talking about the unknown unknowns. Like for instance, no one would have pre- prepped for Kawhi being out yesterday. Mm-hmm. Like the magic you knew were questionable on the injury report. We see today and beat is questionable. Okay. Bagley's still questionable. McDermott. I mean, we're going to get that news in the beginning. I mean, we, we see the tags. I'm talking about the, the, whoa, what happened there type of stuff. I mean, like, you would have never thought, like, Dick Batum, Lou Williams, Terrence Mann. Like, you, would, you, you wouldn't even think, you, you just assume Kawhi was playing, because why wouldn't he play? George is out, and what, why, why wouldn't he play? I'm talking about yesterday, people, like, not, like, those Hornets, just saying, screw them all. Screw it. Like, I'm not playing any Hornets. Right. I'm, I'm just going to, I'm just going to, I'm going to ride the wave. This late has multiple start times. The, they have three games starting at 10 Fox may be out. So then you play Halliburton. So you have that possibility over there. So you just say at, at seven o'clock Eastern, like just, I'm, I'm leaving all my spots empty. Like I'm doing that. Probably. I mean, I just want to, I just want to highlight, like, it's not an all or nothing type of thing. Like people are talking in terms of like, well, anytime I play the early value open, late value opens up and then I get burned. And then yeah, sometimes the late value doesn't open up and then you didn't play the early guy. Like, don't think all or nothing. But you have to think in some regard, Eric talks about it in his uh, Four Factors blog article, which is premium, which you get. Click on the link in the description for $10 off your first month. And he talks about optionality a lot. Now he's only playing one lineup. So he's really focused on that, like what he's, what is he planning on doing? What's going to happen two hours from now? But you wouldn't, you wouldn't, you would agree with me that like just a full like every night I'm just not going to play the early couple of games and just see what happens is not like it's not the best of strategies. No, that's that's a terrible strategy, especially because if you do that and you miss out on Lamelo Ball and Terry Rozier both having fifty plus fantasy points on DraftKings and like they were. Yeah, but you you, you don't get the, the the Miles Bridges eighteen point snowflake. No, oh no, but Miles Bridges was still projected for thirty. So yeah, you got a floor game out of Miles Bridges, but like you you don't you don't just like pass up on a six x median projection just because you think that at, at, at like you know maybe by some grace of God you thought, oh, well, you know what? Maybe there's going to be another stud resting later on. I'm just going to save my spots later. And then they play. And it's like, well, too bad, man. You you guessed wrong. Um, and guessed based on no knowledge. So I, I think that there is a little bit of benefit. When you're building out projections, uh, something that's pretty standard in the industry is building out different sets of baselines. So something that I'll do is I'll look through the questionables and I'll look through those kind of situations early on in the day. And most of my day, most of my early day, 
um, because you and I talk all the time about not building lineups before the 5.30 p.m. Eastern injury. Like, you, you just shouldn't do it. But what you can do is you can think about the situations that are happening in the question mark. And what I do and what a lot of people that build projections do is we're taking those situations and we're building out different sets of baselines for the slate based on the questionables that we have. So like Embiid today being questionable, um, I'm going to have one set of projections that has him in and I'm going to have one set of projections that have him out. And being able to prepare for that and look at those kinds of things objectively and saying, okay, well, here's what I should expect if this player sits and preparing that way. That's a really important thing to do early on in the day. You shouldn't really be building lineups early outside of like maybe understanding, okay, Vucevic is only 6,000. Okay, yeah, like I, I'm probably going to have him as, as like an example. But you should be understanding and looking at the questionables and looking at the situations and breaking down each game in a situation of what happens if this player plays or sits. That, that's good and worthwhile to do because then you, have, you don't have a fire drill later. You don't have a situation where a player gets ruled out and you're like, oh, I, I didn't think about what would happen if this, like he's, he's been questionable all day. You, you should have thought about this. Um, those kinds of things, uh, again, the, the known unknowns, I like to focus on that. I don't focus a lot on unknown unknowns because <laughs> what, what am I going to do with that? Nobody knows. Nobody knows. I don't know. You don't know. Nobody knows. So I try to focus a lot on the things that we know might or might not happen instead of trying to focus on the things that I have no idea if it's going to happen. Right. And here at Roto Grinders, we have what's called what if projections. So the projections team for those known unknowns before the slate, before the slate locks, we, we have a page called what if projections. And it shows if, if Embiid is out, this is what it will look like. If this guy is out, this is what it will look like. Obviously, for the known unknowns, the, uh, the, the we didn't have what if projections for Kawhi sitting yesterday because who who knows? I mean, could, they need to have to make what if projections for like everyone, uh, everyone in the league, and then what, what's what's the point of that? But uh, if you're going to prepare for more of the known unknowns, at least with like Kawhi, Kawhi's someone that could sit, right? We we'd look at Blake Griffin. It's like. We had that slate before where everyone thought that he would sit and he didn't. He played on the back-to-back. So sometimes you have to think of the, the opposite way of the known unknowns. My, my rule of thumb in general when it comes to this stuff is I could prepare. I'm more likely if I'm going to try to make a move late is to play, play the guy that it benefits the most but his floor is still fine for his price as it is. So for instance, last night with the Kings, if Fox sat, Halliburton becomes a much better play. But Halliburton in and of himself at like 6,100 is like, like, is not horrible. Like it's just a median play. It's like, he's probably efficient. He's probably efficiently priced with Fox in at 6,100. He's probably underpriced if, if Fox is out. So to me, I only see upside there. The downside is I get a guy at an efficient price and so be it. He could still hit a seal. He could still with Fox in hit 45 points. I mean, he could still do that. I, what I don't, don't want to do is play the guys that have no floor. If that doesn't happen, if all the magic guys ended up playing like guys, like, like bacon and birch, like those types of guys, like their value is very like, 
Like they're going to go back to, they're, they're going to be just normal, normal players at their price. They're going to play their normal minutes or whatever. Even Ross, like Ross was like 6K plus, 6,300. Like to me, that's not the guy. Because if Fournier and Anthony are back, like Ross shouldn't be 6,300. He should be, he should be like 5,300. He's not officially priced anymore. So I'm more likely, uh, let's say for instance, that uh, the Hornets, we didn't have the news. I mean, obviously it was the first game on the slate, but let's say there were a later game. And ha- and Hayward was, you know, questionable and Washington was doubtful. So it's like, in any case, I know that, that Miles Bridges is going to have to play like 25 minutes regardless. He may play more. And it, at his price, I don't mind playing that. I don't mind playing that guy. But like, if I don't know about the guard situation, it's like, okay, ball is priced normally and... Like, well, now once everyone's out, then then everyone goes up. But I mean, I think that was more of a case on FanDuel. But I, I think you, I think James, you get the understanding of like what I'm talking about. Like, if Kawhi was questionable, like I'm more likely to play Batum as a placeholder than Terrence Mann or Lou Williams because Batum starts nor George isn't playing. Batum starts normally. Batum's gonna play 30 minutes regardless. And yeah, maybe he's not worth 5,300. He's uh, okay. Uh, I'm not rushing out to play him at 5,300, but he's probably worth 6,300 if Kawhi doesn't play. But I don't want to get screwed by playing the $3,400 guy, right? RJ Hampton or something. Let's just say that, you know, Murray's in, let's say, I mean, obviously Barton was out also, but those types of guys that are at like three, the 3K values, the $3,500 values, if they're stuck as your like last guy in your lineup in the late game and that doesn't happen, now you're sitting there with a guy that may only play 12 minutes. And like, like what do you do at that point? And and less people have him because it's a late swap. So it's it doesn't gain you as much of a benefit as you think it does for the downside of playing a guy that only has a median projection of like 16 versus 28 if that guy wasn't out. You you get what I'm talking about. Yeah. Yeah. And you, and you gave a really, really good piece of advice of like focusing on somebody's median projection if the player is in or versus if they're not Um, a a really, really good example of that is Batum where Batum is probably projected. I think I had him project for, I don't know, 24 or something like that. Like he he projected. Okay. He wasn't a terrible play regardless because Paul George is already out. So he was already getting a little bit of a boost there and he still has a ceiling, even if Kawhi Leonard plays. Um, uh, of course, we don't know about the Kawhi Leonard situation, but if we knew that he was questionable, then Nick Batum was obviously already an okay play. Um, focusing a lot on guys that are not going to kill you if the player plays or not is important. Uh, Lamella Ball, even last night, um, before... 700 on DraftKings, a little he, steep. Yeah, it is steep. It is steep. Um, whereas he's priced probably, if ever, well, if Gordon Hayward plays yesterday he's probably priced a little bit above his, his median. Like he wasn't really popping. Um, but then as soon as Gordon Hayward, it, like if Gordon Hayward's out, then LaMelo Ball is a fantastic play. Um, Terry Rozier is somebody who would have been a better play in regards of if we didn't know about the Gordon Hayward news. Miles Bridges, like you mentioned, because of the PJ Washington situation, all, all those things, you can think about that in terms of what their actual median projection is. And for somebody like me over at Paydirt, when, when I am building out projections, I have one projection set up that, you know, we, of the things that we know, and then I'll rerun it after we get more news. Um, 
so if you're looking at a projection set like mine, where you don't have the optionality to switch back and forth between these on off situations, then you can think about things the way that we just talked about. You can look at the situation with Miles Bridges and say, oh, well, PJ Washington's doubtful, Gordon Hayward is questionable. Uh, he already projects okay. He already projects for about 22 fantasy points. Um, he's probably a pretty decent play, even if we don't get those that news. So just thinking about things like that and, and LeBron James and Anthony Davis, that's another situation where if one of them, if they don't list both of them questionable for the entire week, if one of them ends up being questionable, then the other one, you already know there's probably a premium on playing them because they are constantly priced around their median. And both of them always have the ceiling of 60 plus fantasy points. Uh, a Paul George and Kawhi Leonard situation. It's it's same thing with that, where those two, when both of them play, they're about 1.25, 1.35 fantasy points per minute. But when one of them is out, the other one automatically bumps up to 1.5 to 1.6 fantasy points per minute. So playing those guys when their median projections are okay and the other one is questionable, that's just kind of good practice to put yourself into, giving yourself that chance to have that ceiling. I mean, it's much different than like, for instance, today, we have Embiid as questionable. I think he probably ends up playing, but if Embiid was out, people would look at his immediate replacement, Dwight Howard, Tony Bradley. Obviously, if Embiid plays, Howard and Bradley aren't even worth even looking at, right? But if Embiid doesn't play, it bumps up Simmons, it bumps up Harris. I mean, not to the extent, I mean, they're already priced fairly well as it is, but like you can't, to me, it's less likely that I'm like, I'm going to bet on Embiid sitting and playing Dwight Howard at whatever his price is. He's probably 40 something, 3,600, right? Because he'll have to play, you know, against Gobert. He'll play 21 minutes, right? They'll split the minutes down the middle with Tony Bradley or something like that. Makes him a great play. But if he doesn't, like Howard at 14 minutes, it, 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 why are you doing? Like, it, it's, it's awful. I'm more likely if I'm going to build lineups as if someone's out in advance to be more likely to play Toby. Like, why don't I put on Toby Harris? Because worst case scenario, if Embiid plays, Toby Harris is still fine. I mean, I, I'm still, I'm still getting, I'm still getting the minutes. I think that's the better way of putting it. Play, play, pl prepare for the guy that already has the minutes, regardless of the situation, and just gets a usage increase than the guy that will walk into a lot more minutes and you're not sure about that. And then obviously you can analyze it from there. I mean, obviously if you're playing guys in the 10 o'clock games tonight, there's three of them, you'll have two V2s, three V3s, and maybe you end up getting Howard into your lineup in that case or, or, or something like that. But uh, on the other side of the spectrum, I don't think because of situations like this that you necessarily like ignore like the beginning game, I mean, yeah, you, you'll you'll get you'll remember the times that you were burned, but not remember the times that that you were you were right. I mean, we take a look here in our projections. We're currently assuming that Westbrook is out. I don't know if they're going to put him back in, but we're assuming he's out. And at least as of the seven twenty six a.m. I mean, I don't know. No one. This is like the algorithmically made projections. So who the hell who the hell knows? But Oladipo is out and. Westbrook, we have projected out here. So, like, these games are early. I mean, we're talking about Houston, Washington. Like, if you play Wall and Beal, 
You're playing a $7,500 player and an $8,900 player. You're filling up a point guard spot and a shooting guard spot. And you're kind of locking yourself into a certain type of roster construction. Like to me, it's not a matter of like, well, I won't play either of them. Like, well, you can play one of them. Like maybe you don't want to lock yourself into a roster construction and only play one. Cause you also have a uh, Harden with no Durant because Durant is out and we got Irving and Harden here and they're not going to play until 10. Like these are all already the known situations. So like once you lock in Beal and Wall, let's say you lock in Beal, Wall and Harden or Irving or something, like all your guard spots are taken up. So you better hope that the value that comes up is forward eligible. If you're going to play the game of like, I'm holding, but I just don't think that it's like, well, I'm just going to act as if all these games are, uh, the only three games on the slate of the 10 o'clock games, right? I, 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 you have to think in terms individually. Go, well, do I play Doug McDermott early or do I wait for, uh, do I wait for late news? It's like, well, what, what could you possibly be waiting for? Like, what could it be? What do you end up if you, if you, you end up playing Kelly Olenek for Miami or something like that. You end up playing a Torian Prince for Cleveland. Like, see what happens. Think of the downside. Think of, okay, maybe I am going to kind of, you know, push the rock down the hill, you know, save it for later. But what happens if the way that you want it to work out doesn't work out? Who are you stuck with? And if you're happy with who you're stuck with, then there, there you go. Okay, you're fine. But if you're like, oh, if I get stuck like this, that means I'm playing Damian Lee. Like maybe that's a problem. But I don't think it's this all or nothing type of mentality of like, like maybe recency bias has gotten into some people where it's like, well, had I waited, I, I would have, whatever, you know, people, Miles Bridges, ah, Miles Bridges. And if I would have waited for you know, someone else, I would have been better. Yeah, there have been plenty of slates this year where it's done, the complete opposite has happened. Trust me. Where the early value is the, the stuff that goes off and like everyone was waiting for, and then, then Kawhi sat and then all that value bombed anyway. So like, it didn't, it didn't even matter. So I said, don't, don't overreact to two or three game type of, type of sample size. Uh, but when you come to like the optionality is one of the variables that you should weigh, but it shouldn't be the only variable that you weigh. Yeah. And when you're looking at the early games, uh, it would be kind of a different situation. I mean, John Wall is pretty good value as of now. Uh, remember that it is 11.25 a.m. Eastern. But as of now, John Wall is a pretty good value. Um, so taking him at 7,500 uh, is pretty good. But to say that he's a phenomenal play is wrong. It's not like the the LaMelo Ball thing yesterday. Like, LaMelo Ball was projected for basically 54 fantasy points uh, on an early game. In a situation like that, you, you have to put a priority on that, I think because we knew that we had the news. So just taking away those early games, that doesn't make any sense. Uh, and, and it doesn't make any sense because you're doing it based off of no actionable evidence of what is actually going to happen. Um, you, you don't have any reason to say that you are removing the early games outside of what if value opens later. I don't know, man. What if value does open later? Uh, it, it probably means that you have a couple cheaper players that are coming going to come into better roles. Uh, but you don't know that, that kind of stuff is going to happen. You know that with the early game, you know, say in in five hours, we know that John Wall is still projecting for over 40 fantasy points. You know that value. 
make decisions off of things that you know, and then make decisions based off of things that might happen. And then don't make decisions off of things that you have absolutely no clue about because you just shouldn't do that anyway. But uh, try to follow through the things that are most likely to be known and most likely to happen. Because making bets on things that you know about it, it's it's kind of like that. Uh, the what's it called? The the door problem. What the let's make a deal problem, Monty? Yeah, Hall yeah, yeah, yeah. So it, right. more knowledge. The more knowledge that you gain, the more knowledge that you have, and the better decisions that you can make off the knowledge that you have, the better off you're going to be. If you're making decisions as the slate continues, then you're going to be better off than if you made decisions based off things that you don't know. But you have to prepare and you have to understand that if you take away the first games and all the knowledge that you have, you're increasing your variance. and You're making it harder on yourself over the long run. Right. I think I think I'm more likely like when we have these value plays, for instance, like we had like the Isaiah Stewart and Peyton Pritchard over the weekend, right on Friday or whatever that projects so well. I mean, they bombed, but whatever they, they project so well that the likelihood of some unknown value opening up that is going to be better than that is probably small. I'm more likely, like, let, let's say on this slate that for, we have tonight. Like, I take a look here, and if I just go by point per dollar, which will just show, like, just raw, Garrison Matthews, right? Because if, if, if Westbrook doesn't play, he doesn't, it's not like he projects, like, smash level 10. I mean, like, it's not like, oh my God, if you don't play him, you're dead. So I'm more likely to like, well, I'm uh, I'm going to fade that guy and see if value opens up later. Like when the pricing is tight. Like let's say, let's say for instance, uh, Westbrook does play. So we, we removed Garrison Matthews. I take a look at this. Where's the value? What what's what? Who's that forty four thousand dollar player that you need? Doug McDermott maybe. Right? Maybe. Moritz Wagner? No, I don't know. I mean, you just look and you go, DeAndre Jordan at 4,500? Is that the best quote value? You take a look and you go, these aren't, scre- this isn't like screaming value. These are, these are just slightly inefficiently priced cheaper players. But because there's no screaming value on the slate, they end up becoming overowned. So if they were in early games, I'm more likely to, to fade that and find someone that's just, I mean, we take a look at just the salary scale. We go down here to like Doug McDermott. I'm going to give it as an example, 4,900. Like what's the biggest difference, but like, okay, if I get rid of uh, Doug McDermott and for some, and then I, I worst case scenario, I'm play, playing Royce O'Neal. Like, dude, they're like projected like two and a half points away from each Like that, that isn't the end of the world if you have to play Royce O'Neal, right? It's not the end of the world if you if oh I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna act like Bagley's not in and I'm gonna play someone. I mean, like in this price range, like they're all projecting between like twenty and twenty three points. So if Doug McDermott, because there's no other value on the slate, and and Doug McDermott's thirty eight percent owned because he just happens to be the slightly better play than the rest of these guys. Like to me, that's that's the opportunity where okay, I'm 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 gonna build a lineup without Doug McDermott and wait. Because what the worst thing that happens? I go into the later games and go, I'm well, I'm playing Dorian Prince, right? I'm playing uh, Bertans. Maybe Bagley plays and I'm playing him at 4,700. Maybe I'm playing 
uh, well, Atlanta uh, Knicks is seven thirty game, but there's Gallinari there. There's Jeremy Lamb. He would start early. Who's in the later games? Miami, LAC. I know, like Olenek's up here at fifty one hundred. Batum at fifty one hundred. Abaka. Like there's guys here. There's like you know, none of these guys project like significantly different. Like Doug McDermott's twenty five. So the guys that are slightly more priced than him, like by two or three hundred, project worse. So basically, he's like underpriced by like three or four hundred hundred bucks. But if he's the best value, then he's going to be the most owned best value. Okay, these are the type of guys. But let's say he was priced at three k, right? Instead of forty nine hundred, he was priced at three k. Then I'm just playing. I don't care. He yeah, he's in the first game. Well, there could be better values. Like no. 3K for a 25-point median? That's 8X. The likelihood of me finding an 8X player, median-wise, just out of the blue. Like, not you don't even know. These are these are the unknown unknowns. Like, it's so small that, like, why, why are you doing it? Who cares? Yes, it's the first game. Lock him in. Like, put him in all your lineups. I mean, bombs, he bombs. So be it. But I'm not going to find a better projected value 99% of the time out of the blue later. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and that's kind of what I mean by by paying attention and kind of weighing the yes or no on these players in the early games. Um, that you, you just have to have an understanding of how good of value somebody is uh, and what they kind of allow you to do too, right? Because the roster construction is really important when you are considering the value plays that you have. Um, a, a lot of the time, if we have these guys where right now, uh, like Nerland's Noel, at, at 4,400 on DraftKings. Um, he looks like an okay value, but not I mean, like... He's, he's going to be pop. I, I mean, he should be popular today. Yeah, yeah, he should be. And and he will be. I mean, at 4,400 center, like he probably is going to end up being pretty popular. Um, unless Embiid ends up being out. And then, you know, we have that question of between him and Dwight Howard and Tony Bradley. Like you have a couple other centers. But as of now... Nolan's Noel looks like a pretty decent value. I'm projected for around 25 and a 37% chance to hit his GPP score. Right. And here, uh, here on Roto Grinders, based on our algorithmic projections, 29 minutes, 26 point median, 5.9 point per dollar to the median and 32% smash. So, I mean, similar, similar range. And obviously these yeah. things will be tweaked, but like, that's not a script. Like, that's, that's not a value, a, but it's not a like, oh my God, I need to jam him into all my lineups type of value. No, absolutely not. I, I, I mean, we don't, that there is hardly any value as it is right now. And honestly, I like slates more like this. Like if we had this projection set right now, 30 minutes before lock, I would go crazy because I like slates like this where people are going to like take these value plays, these Doug McDermott's and the Nerlens Noel's and these guys, and they're just going to jam them in to try to fit more high priced players just because like they are okay values. Um, but there's nothing screaming. And when you have these players that is not, that are not a screaming value that are priced pretty efficiently that don't have their, their smash scores above 50%. Like we don't have an Isaiah Stewart projection on a slate like this. And this is a good opportunity for you to be able to look at the slate and say, well, I can probably pivot at this spot. Like this player is 4,500 projects for 40 for 25 and this player is 4,900 and projects for 26. They're basically the same play. What else does it allow me? If there's somebody very early that allows me a much, much better lineup, 
Um, maybe somebody that allows me to have Harden over, I don't know, Trey Young or something like that based on projections. Maybe I'll want to put a little bit more of a premium on them as a value play just because of what they allow outside of the play itself, since we are trying to build lineups and not caring so much about individual players. So it, it's just about understanding what that early value can actually allow you and what you're actually going to be able to have later on if you skip out on that value. If you skip out on Nerlens Noel, who is early, uh, you're pretty much hoping for, I mean, what do we even have late? Kelly Olenek, I guess? Yeah, yeah. So you're, you're just kind of hoping that value later on opens up at either center or power forward or something like that that maybe gives you the same roster construction that you would have if you played Nerlens Noel. But I don't think that it's necessary on slate like today. Yesterday, LaMelo Ball, you just weren't skipping out on him. But today, I think that there's not that there are not very many value plays on the slate so far that are deserving of just saying, I don't think anything else opens up. Right. And you take advantage of the fact that people are going, they're going to be overwhelmed because of it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that that's, I mean, really, that's what it, I'm not, I'm don't fade that guy because you want to wait for later fade because just because they're overwhelmed. I mean, like, it doesn't matter. They replace him with a guy that's, that's early, that's earlier also. Like, like, that's why I just said with the, like Noel and McDermott versus Gallinari. I mean, like all those guys, like, because what's going to end up happening here is that if nothing else opens up, McDermott's going to end up being 28% owned. And then you're going to look and you're going to go like, well, Gallinari is going to be 6% owned and Royce O'Neal is going to be 2% owned. And it's like, like, this is the difference in their projection. Like, like, should they be, should one guy be 14 times more owned than the other? No. Right. Should he be more owned? Yes. Okay. He is a, he is a better play. Yes. But not that much of a better play and people will jam them in, but I'm not doing, I'm not doing it because I'm waiting for later. I'm doing it because strategically it makes sense in that lineup, regardless, even if all the games started at the same time, like it would, it wouldn't matter either way. I think people over, over sometimes over value optionality because they see every day in the NBA, not so things happening. But like you don't, you can't predict what not so thing you mentioned before. Oh, I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm not gonna play Noel, and I'm gonna wait for for a better center forward value. And then what it turns out, so two guards are out for one of the late games, and like, well now now there are three K guards to play, and you don't have a spot for them, right? Unless unless it's a utility spot, you're sitting there with a power forward having to fill, and well value came out just not at, not at that position. So, so it's something to think about, but it's not something to prioritize when it comes to the unknown unknowns, the known, un, the known unknowns, the questionable guys, that type of stuff, you know, the, the rest candidates I get the, what if projections I get, but as far as like, Oh, well, Kawhi could sit at any point and LeBron could sit at any point. It's like, and B could sit at any point, right? We 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 see we see that we see that often enough, but not so often that I should be thinking like that. Like, okay, who in the ten o'clock games is going to sit out of the blue? Like, it really doesn't happen as often as you think it does. Yeah, it's it's but it's but it's more of a pain in the ass to you. To truthfully, James, you hate this more than you hate all the 
unknown unknowns more than I do because you're 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 actually you're actually doing the projections. Me, I just I, I look at my I look at my uh, Roto Grinders projection team and go, "You guys are gonna be done soon." Yeah, I need some numbers, right? Like I, I mean, obviously you could you could you could you, you could uh, estimate. I mean, it's not hard. When when I saw Kawhi was out, I'm like, let's see who starts. It's probably you know, basically I'm, I'm looking at like Batum, Abaka gets a bump. Obviously, everyone gets a bump because of the usage. Uh, but it, wh- whoever starts, it'll be Man or it'll be Williams. Kennard seems to be out of favor for whatever reason, but you never know, right? Like I, you get a sense of who it's going to be, right? So yeah. you can plan regardless. I don't need to wait for the for the projections team to finish their finish their update. But uh, but you actually have to do the updating. Me, I could just go, oh, ballpark this. Let me throw him into him into a lineup. Oh, Anthony and Fournier are out. Okay, let me put in put in Ross. Put in put in Bacon. Right. I don't need to know the exact numbers. I don't need to wait twenty minutes for the exact numbers. But you do. You're doing the projections. You you need the exact numbers. Yeah, and that's kind of the hard part. I I've always felt that it's it's hard when a player goes from being strictly playing DFS into being a content creator because for for me, yeah, when I saw that Kawhi was out, I was just like Lou Williams. Like I I just knew. I just knew that it was Lou Williams and Nicholas Batum, maybe a little bit of Marcus Morris. Like I, I just know that those guys are going to be a priority now if I have room to play them. Um but I can't just say that. Like, it's not enough for that at that point because then I have to think, okay, I have to go in. I have to change things uh, for their baselines. I have to go in and apply their boosts. I have to go in and change their minutes up. I have to figure out who's going to play these kind of fringe rotations as well because it, you, you don't just, as a content creator, have to think, oh, yeah, I just know that I'm going to play Lou Williams and Nicholas Batum. You have to think about who's going to get, like, the seven-minute rotation between the third and the fourth quarter and project them for like 5.2 fantasy points. And it's like, nobody really needs to care about that. But as a content creator, you do have to care about it because of the entire thing, like the entire slate and, and you know, the, the pride or whatever goes along with it. Um, but it does get hard because you can't just go and say, play Lou Williams. If you have one lineup, then yeah, you should go and play Lou Williams. But for people who have a lot of lineups, you have to be able to weigh between, okay, Lou Williams now projects for 33 fantasy points. Okay, how does that compare against another player who I might swap to or swap from that I already had? You know, if they, if they already had like uh, Tyrese Halbert or something like that. What is the actual difference between Lou Williams and Tyrese Halbert? What about the ownership between those two players? Uh, do, do I switch to them because I already have a good lead? I had some low end players early on. Um, and now I know that Lou Williams is likely going to get a little bit of an ownership boost just because Kawhi Leonard is out. And then I switch to them so that I can maintain my, my win equity because I already have the relative points. There's a lot of things that go into the differences, um, and, and go into that kind of a thing and reacting to it, not only from a player perspective, but from a content creator perspective. So it's, it is hard to build out the projections that way, but I wouldn't say that it's hard to build out the projections on guys like Lou Williams and Nicholas Batum. I think it's way harder to build out the projections on the fringe guys that you have to kind of like put in their minutes and say, all right, well, this guy is going to jump up from like 12 minutes to 19 minutes and he's min priced. And he, now he like almost makes sense as a value play, but like doesn't really make sense as a value play. Like he projects for like 18.5. 
Those are the situations that I think are harder as somebody who actually builds the projections than just like me as a DFS player knowing like, yeah, I, I just want to play the Williams and Nicholas Batum. Right. Well, especially when those types of projections could be so fragile. Yeah. Because, you know, you're dealing with the second, the backup point guard. Are they going to play three guard lineups? Are they going to play big? Because you're projecting a guy for like 16 minutes that could easily play six. Or right. Or, or, or right. Or 26. Right. Yeah. End up to the other direction. Right. Because it's that's, like, that's like how do they run? How do they run this? Like they could easily. This is, or it's could be literally a guy that comes in, plays four minutes, and is never seen from again. Like he was playing, like almost like the coach was like, okay, he's going to be in the rotation, and then saw in four minutes, this is not a good idea. Let me just run my let, let's just run a nine man rotation the rest of the game. You projected him for sixteen minutes, and it's like, well, dude, he only played four. It's like, well, I mean, that's that's the fragility of those projections of those types of guys. Well, and I, I try to talk about dudes who are, I, I don't want to say good because like they're NBA players that they, they, they are top 1% of the world of like what they do. So I, I think they're referring to, to athletes as like good or bad or whatever. I think that's kind of kitschy, but um, I, I try not to let people get too in love with somebody like, I don't know, Emmanuel quickly or something like that. We had R.J. Hampton yesterday. R.J. Hampton, sure. Like, good. He, he, he was he projected decently for his price earlier in the day. Then once more value opened up, it's like he got kind of pushed aside. But I'm looking at this going, this this could go really badly. <laughs> because we don't there, – there's a reason he's a third stringer. There's a reason why guys are buried on depth charts. Like, it, it just is what it is. Like, whether it is because the coach doesn't think that they're very good whether it's because they get into really bad foul trouble, whether it's like a Chris Boucher situation and he weighs like the same weight as like a bag of straws and can't actually defend anything. Like there are reasons why these guys have volatile minutes. And so when somebody who has volatile minutes is then put into a role where they may or may not gain minutes. Sure. The upside is good on a player who like Chris Boucher, if he's 4,500 and he, and like, we know the Baines is out. It's a good gamble to take a shot on. But at the same time, they might just run Pascal Siakam at, at center and like kick Boucher down to his 22 minutes. I, I mean, that happened earlier in the year where Baines was out and it's like, oh, there's no way that they'll find a way to not have Chris Boucher in this. I'm going to project him for 29 minutes. And then he played his least amount of minutes that he's had this year in the first half. And it's like, okay. I, I mean, I guess, but you, you can't, like, there's a reason why these backup players are backups, and you just need to know that they, they have all time. Yeah. And you can't, and you can't, also, it's very similar to NFL that you can't assume rational coaching. Right? You, you, can't, you can't assume, oh, this is what they should do. Well, Nick Nurse doesn't care what you think, right? I mean, like, somebody, the, uh, right? he doesn't care. Somebody asked me yesterday, do I think that uh, Diallo is benched because of what happened the other day? And I'm like, I, I, I don't know, dude. Maybe. Maybe they were they, they were thin and they weren't getting enough offense that the, the out of the second unit and thought that would better to overlap, right? Yeah. I mean, what? Okay, it could be that it could Diallo could could come off the bench and play the rest of he could actually play the most minutes out of anyone on the team. Also, mm-hmm. right? 
Diallo comes in at the six minute mark and then plays literally the whole half. So he's going to play 36 minutes and you're going to be like, well, I didn't play him because he was on the bet. Like, you don't know. Or Diallo could come in and only play 18 minutes. I mean, look at that range of outcomes. Yeah. He could play 36 minutes or he could play 18 minutes. So you're going to project him somewhere in the middle. You're going to say, what's the, you're going to project him for 28. And that, what else can you do? I mean, like what, at that point, it's like, that's the middle, but it could maybe a little bit more towards the front, maybe 30, maybe you project him for 30. Yeah. Right. And then, then you allocate the minutes otherwise. And you go, well, if he's going to, in the cases where he runs out the, the rest of the half, who gets the, who's the odd man out? Maybe it's Justin Jackson. So you trim down his minutes, but it could be the opposite way. It could be that Diallo plays the normal minutes in the second unit and Justin Jackson just plays starters minutes. And you know what happened? Justin Jackson played starters minutes and he had his best fantasy point game. I think he's, he's only scored five in, in his entire NBA career, scored five times more than 30 fantasy points ever. And yesterday was one of them. That's that's the volatility of that situation. I think people don't understand how much vol how we view NBA DFS as the lowest variance sport, right? In DFS, right, James? It's the lowest I, variance. You agree? You you have to you have to agree that NBA has the lowest variance. Yet, even at the lowest variance, it's still absurdly variant. Right? Yeah, I try to say that is the most linear. I try to say that is the thing that like building projections, it just makes the most sense because the, even if, if you have minutes and fantasy points for minutes, you can build a model and like that you can do that. You can't really do that with NFL. You can't do it with MLB. You can't do it with any of these things that are event oriented, but like basketball, very linear. They shoot basket, they score. Like that, and like rebounds and says, like, we know what they can do and we know what it's worth. The variance is low, but like, we're still trying to predict the future, dude. Uh, we're, we're still like making these guesses based off of historical values and what we think, but that there is that human element and there's variance and there's blah, 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 blah. And all of this is basically to say when you are like, if, if we bring it back towards what we are talking about today with late swap. All of this is to say that when you are making decisions based on late swap and we are making decisions based on what you plan to do and what you think might happen and trying to prepare for what you think might happen, prepare for things that will not kill you if it does not go your way. Prepare for things where you are looking at the upside of the situation. Like maybe if you are not a risk averse player, I'm not a risk averse player. I'm okay with eating all the risk in the world. Maybe I'll take some shots on those guys that are, you know, projected for anywhere between six and 26 minutes, because if that player plays 26 minutes, he's a 0.9 fantasy point per minute player. He's going to score 23 fantasy points at min price, and that's going to be a good play. But I'm not going to make that decision unless I have <coughs> no other options that make more sense and seem a little bit less volatile. Like if I have somebody who is min priced, if I have two players that are min priced, one starts at the first game at 5 p.m. my time, 7 p.m. Eastern. And another one starts at the late game, the last game in the slate. They're both min-priced. Both of them project if they are in a situation where, like, the late game, the guy doesn't play. If they both project relatively similarly, then you have that situation. But if the later player, if that player plays, the one ahead of them, 
Uh, and now the player that's min price is only projected for nine minutes. I don't think that I need to take that risk. There's no, there's no benefit to me because I have another player that is a known commodity, a known value earlier on in the day, according to projections and according to the range of outcomes. Why would I take that risk on that super volatile player later on? There's no benefit to me if they're both smash plays under the right circumstances. And we know one of the circumstances in the early game. Yeah, but what happens if you want to play both of them? Well, then you have to make a different decision. That's not that's not even comparing the two. That's I would have played both the 3K players so I could jam in Giannis and Luca and everyone. Play three min-priced players and just jam them in, dude. Just team jam them in. There's no way to lose if you punt three positions. Literally no way. No way. On uh, FanDuel, when I dropped the score, you could do that. That was beautiful. That was, that was like the one thing that FanDuel has done right in their existence was that scoring format. And they that took scoring, it away. That scoring format was awful for the ecosystem. But most people, most people didn't. Players. Most people didn't get the constructions you needed to make. It was so big of an edge when they did it. It like was at, it, it, at Rotogrinders. If you weren't aware, uh, Andy Means came up with with the perfect term. You had a you had to have a punt and a funt. <laughs> I I, I love that term, but. Because you understand what I mean, because you're automatically assuming that you're dropping a score. So you want to drop the low, you you want to have a $3,500 player because you're not playing with $60,000 in salary. You're just playing with uh, Mm $56,500. You want to have the best $56,500 lineup. But that also means that you want to, since one score is going to be dropped, you want to take a shot on two players one of them being a cheap, another $3,800 player as like the, as the guy that could have upside, especially with FanDuel scoring being so soft and then build your lineup from there. So there was a punt and a funt, and then you built the rest of your lineup. And a lot of people, if you build balanced builds on FanDuel, it was all it, balanced builds. If you simulated them out, were almost always negative EV because if you drop a score, you're dropping too much salary in the long mm-hmm. run. But I mean, I don't know why we're talking about the old scoring system FanDuel strategy. Well, it does relate to late swap. I mean, that like we're still on topic here, but like I, we're just reminiscing. It was that, that was a good format. But uh, you could find out all, all more about these types of strategic concepts in the theory of daily fantasy sports. I had to think like a professional DFS player. It's with me and James. We both talked for 15 hours in your pocket. It's 11 chapters. A lot of what we talked about right now is in the exploits chapter, late swap stuff, chapter nine, and the psychology, chapter 10. We have a leverage, correlation, expected value. Every, everything's in here. So if you want a nice resource, of course, you could, you could tune into this show every day and you could watch back catalog of hundreds of hours of my videos and probably get, mo- we talk about most of, most of these concepts. If you don't want to do all that work, you want to have a one all-in-one resource guide that you can listen to anytime you want, go to theoryofdfs.com. Pick that up. I see people in the chat. I, I like the fact that we, we, we have some smart people in the YouTube chat that are answering other people's questions here. So like, I don't, it feels like I don't even need to, but you guys know that on Mondays that we, you know, it's Mondays with McCool. So we do a, more of a deep dive. We, we're not ignoring you in the chat, but we, we're, we're talking a little bit about stuff. I see some people had good results go through. I obviously have to, you know, pat myself on the back. Kagan Hopkins, 
your video on Friday taking us through the process on analyzing the chalk on the slate was so helpful. I've catched each of the last three days, each day scoring higher than the one previous. Thank you. Right. right. Rob W., your advice on my question last week has led to my best ROI streak, able to find a lots of weaker players in contests I never considered before. So much dead money when you put some time into luck. Right, contest selection. And even me, I was so down on Friday, right? On Friday, two losing days in a row. Look at this V-shaped recovery. V-shaped recovery. We're at all-time highs now. Three sweeps in a row, James. So, like, well, you're, you're, you're a regular cash game guy now. No, well, I always was a regular cash game guy. Well, but look, but look at this bad. See, it's like, look, the 10th, the 10th was a bad day. The 11th was a bad day, except for Yahoo, which didn't get me much back. So I went down from 12,500 down to 8,100. Then the course, course of three days, back up to 15-2. Wow. Right? But that's what happens when you sweep on all three sites for three, three straight nights. So you get this little, you know, this is the, on this graph, James, this is, this is, this is, uh, it goes like this. It goes like this. And this is, this is the point where Elon Musk tweets about my lineups. No, he tweeted about Doge going again right, last he night. He tweeted yeah. about my line and my cash lineups. And, oh, there it goes. Everyone's, everyone's buying, I guess. <laughs> that's what, so that's the, the, the V-shape recovery right there. I could, it could easily go right back down. So who, who knows? And it probably will. A little bit. You'll get back up now. I, right. uh, I, I've been um, kind of taking a little bit of a break while I try to finish out the optimizer over on the site. And when I jump back in, man, I'm expecting that, that V shape to go back up. So what you just told me, if it doesn't happen to me, I'm going to blame you. Well, you know, are, you, are you talking about GPPs? What's up? GPPs, you don't, you, you don't get Vs. You get, it's, you know, you rarely ever get Vs. You get slow, slowly depressing, yeah. slowly depressing, slow. I get a, uh, what, what would you call that? I call what, it what would you call the uh, the slow and then jump? What what would you call that? Uh, the excite bike, <laughs> the excite bike uh, graph. That's an old Nintendo reference. Because <laughs> if it's not, does the, the excite bike ramps were always like just like yeah. like that type of stuff. It's true. I don't think I don't think it's I don't think professionally it's called that. I don't <laughs> think that's a scientific term. But what would you call what what you're you're more of a math math applied math guy than I am? What would that what would that curve look? What would that curve slow? I mean, it's hockey stick at some point, obviously, but like slow and then up and slow and then up. It looks like a heart rate monitor, except it's like crooked. No, unless you're, it looks like a heart rate monitor, but you're you're on the you're dead for most of the time. <laughs> Or you're getting close to being dead most of the time. Yeah, coming close. But that, that's the thing. I mean, like mentally too, right? Like you think that you're dead and you think you're terrible at, at the game. And then all of a sudden you're good again. And, and then right, you're you know, good again. And, and the point that you hit is higher than the previous peak. Yeah, yeah so exactly. Like, oh, okay. Now I'm on. And then you go, you spend two or three months going, why am I doing this to myself? <laughs> and then you hit, then you hit a hundred thousand and like, oh, okay. Over the past four month period, I'm actually up $60,000. Just yeah. like, oh, okay, that's fine. But that's the GPP players. You shouldn't be seeing that in cash games. You're no. not going to see that in, I mean, cause it's, it's much more linear. You're not playing like sometimes. Yes. I'm playing triple ups or single entry stuff. Yeah. I get on like a DraftKings night where I put it in and I get a 262% return, but you're not going to, you're not going to get big. I mean, this big spike here is three days. So it's yeah. like spike, spike, spike. This is two days, spike down. So most of the time, 
you're just like kind of going up if you're if you're playing well in that general direction. So I mean, you're not you're not getting big hits. You're not. This is more this is more of a cash game graph. While you know, if it went down, 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 just oh, follow my mouse and then spike up, that would be a GPP graph. So uh, in the YouTube chat, thanks for uh, for tuning in, for uh, hitting the thumbs up, hitting the thummy thumbs. I, st- I don't have apple juice. I didn't get any more apple. My- I still haven't gone out. It's it's snowed here. We haven't left. It's so no apple juice. Do you you have water too? You don't even have apple juice. No, dude, it's negative fourteen degrees outside. I'm not going to get apple juice. Maybe maybe I, I'm on a three game streak because may- maybe I'll just never maybe instead of drinking up, I'll just never drink any liquids ever again. There I'll you go. Never yeah. drink liquid until I lose. And then you will die on a high streak. Yeah, well, at least I'm dying I'm dying on top, right? That's all I could ask for. So James, uh, at paydirt underscore DFS on Twitter. Yep, underscore, or paydirt underscore DFS on Twitter. Uh, also, you can find all of my stuff over at paydirt.ghost.io. Um, working through the NBA optimizer, have download functionality built in now. So the, the beta phase is almost done. That's super exciting. And um, Call of Duty is back up and League of Legends is back up and we got all the esports over there too. So uh, come come hang out and play every daily sport under the sun. And check out Theory of Daily Fantasy Sports, How to Think Like a Professional DFS Player by me and James. 15-hour audio masterclass at theoryofdfs.com. Let's see the shenanigans that happen on today's slate. What's going to happen? Who's going to sit that we didn't expect? Who's going to get into foul trouble that we have in all of our lineups? Who's going to get injured four minutes into the game that's jock? It's all going to happen probably tonight and every night in NBA DFS. So uh, we'll, we'll take a look at what happens on today's slate tomorrow in our review on the DFS pregame show here on rotogrinders.com. 